We're in a series called Thrive, Making Ways for Better Days. It's a family and a marriage series. Last week, I talked about how to have a thriving marriage. This week, I want to talk about how to have children who thrive. Now, there are some of you that are thinking, I'm not married. I don't have any children. I'm checking out of this message. Please don't do that because here's what I think. I think that there's people in your life who you know who are raising children that need to hear this message from God's word. So you can just pass it on to them. Don't unplug. There are some of you who you've already raised your children. They're now grown adults. They have families of their own. And you're thinking, man, I don't need this message either. Here's what Holly and I are discovering because we have two children that are now grown. And they have families of their own. I will never not be a parent. It changes through the years, but I will never not be a parent. Here's what I'm discovering. When I'm in my 70s and 80s, should God give me health and grace, when I'm in my 70s, 80s, and 90s, I'm always going to be, listen, mentoring, modeling, and praying for my children. My kids need to see what godly people look like as they grow older. And they're going to see that primarily from me and Holly. I'm going to need to mentor them. Mentoring when you have adult children doesn't mean, let me tell you what I think you ought to be doing. How many of you know that don't work when you got adult kids? But what you do need to do is you just need to have an open posture so that when they ask, hey, what do you think, Dad, about this? You have an answer. And then most of all, you need to be praying for your kids. So nobody really, hopefully, should unplug from this message. So let's begin. Holly and I absolutely loved being parents 90% of the time, right? I mean, when our girls were infants, we used to lay them on our bed and I'd get on one side, Holly get on the other side. We didn't need to watch TV because they were the entertainment. The little gurgles, the little burps. Whoa, what was that? Little twitching. Did she smile? Or was that just gas? <laughs> when our kids were in grade school and um, even a little bit into the teen years, we used to go camping a lot. And in the wintertime, we would do indoor camping. You know what indoor camping is? It's when you get all the sheets in the house and you put them over the living room and the dining room furniture. And then you pull out your sleeping bags and you make s'mores in the oven and you all get in your sleeping bags and you're just reading books and then you sleep out in the living room. When our girls were old enough to drive, I had the privilege of teaching them how to drive a stick shift because I think everybody ought to know how to drive a stick shift. That means you can drive any car in the world, anywhere in the world, if you know how to drive a stick shift. So, you know, the, the mall parking lots and the, and the um, you know, park parking lots, you know, I would have my hand over Bethany or Emily's hand and, you know, push in the clutch and then we'd shift. And, you know, the herky-jerky and all of that, I mean, it was hilarious. And then when our, our, our girls went to college, Holly and I had a lot of fun just visiting them, seeing their lives, taking their friends out to dinner with them, and just watching them launch. And now both of our girls are um, grown and gone, and they have their own families. And I want to show you a couple pictures of our family now. This is, um, Be uh, this is Emily. And Trevor and Paxton's there in the middle. If you were here last week, you saw Paxton, um, perfect Paxton and real Paxton. And then the second picture 
is of Carson, uh, Carson Mark. How do we get to Mech? I don't know. I, I made a mistake there. But um, that's Carson Mark, and I couldn't get a picture of all four of them together. But um, he's a doll. He's about a year and um, three months old. And then the next picture is of Bethany and Steve and their three children, Josiah, Lily, they're twins, and um, Noah, he's two years younger than them. And then I want to show you this last picture, and that's a picture of Holly with Bethany and Emily. Now, the reason why I wanted to show you that picture is because it's a symbol of the fact that today, Holly and I enjoy a warm, loving relationship with our girls, their husbands, and our grandchildren. A day does not go by in which one of our girls either texts or calls us, or we text or call them, and it's really not sharing anything significant other than, hey, just wanted to touch base today. Hey, just want to say I love you. But I want to tell you something. Holly and I also made a lot of mistakes. If our girls were on the platform right now and they were able to have a free mic to say whatever they wanted to, they would say things like this. Um, my mom and dad talked too much about money in front of us and it made us feel insecure. They would also say that um, extended family had too much power in our nuclear family and there's too many voices speaking in and that clouded some clarity in the message. They would also say that dad worked too much and dad was distracted. They both told me that and it caused them pain. They would also tell you that there were times in which we were too hard on them and we expected too much. And then there were times in which we should have been harder on them and we just kind of gave them a pass when we should have pressed in. Now, the reason why I'm telling you that is because today we enjoy a warm, loving relationship with them. And it's primarily because, listen to this, your kids will always forgive you of all your shortcomings if they know that you truly love them and you did the best that you could at the time with the knowledge and who you were at the moment. And both of our girls have expressed that to us. They are very free in saying to us, yep, you blew it here, yep, you blew it here, but man, I love you. Because we always knew that you loved us. And we always knew that in spite of your faults, dad and mom, you were doing the best that you knew how to do. There is something within children that wants to love their parents at every stage of your life. And as long as you're open to it and able to express your own shortcomings, your kids are profoundly forgiving. Now, what I want to do over these next few minutes is to talk to you about some biblical principles about how to thrive, how to have your kids thrive in the home, and 
we're going to go to a verse of scripture. Just one scripture today is going to be our primary focus, and that's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And there are literally hundreds of parenting principles in the Bible, but I only want to talk about five, and they really stem from all um, this one scripture passage from Proverbs 22, 6. And here it is. The New Living Translation says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Now listen, Proverbs is about guidelines, not hard and fast promises. The purpose of Proverbs is to say, generally speaking, when this happens, that will happen. It's not a guarantee. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But for some reason, I just like the old King James Version better from Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So over these next few minutes, I want to talk to you. Most come from this one particular scripture, but I'm going to also broaden it out about five training up principles that you can apply, whether your kids are in the home or not, and you can pass them on to others if you don't have any children. Number one is prioritize relationship over experiences. Prioritize relationships over experiences. It's like this. Your home life should be looking like that. Relationships over experiences. Parents, if you have children in your home, do you often feel like your primary job is the Uber driver? I mean, on Monday, you're sending one of your children to an after-school program from 2.45 to 3.45, and on Tuesday, you have another child that's involved in a swimming activity from 5.15 to 7.15, and on Wednesday, you have another child that's involved in the chess club, and, you know, on Thursday, you know, you've got to send uh, one of your children to karate lessons, and on Friday, it's, it's, of course, the game, the big game at the high school, and on Saturday and Sunday, it's travel baseball or travel soccer soccer and you find yourself running all the time. Here's what I've discovered. I've seen this in my own life and I'm watching it become more pronounced as society is moving faster, minus COVID. What we're really doing is we're really prioritizing experiences over relationships. And we're, we're, we're running our kids around so much it's possible to not even have a meaningful relationship with your children because you're running them from event to event to event. And what the Bible says is it's much better to prioritize relationships over experiences rather than experiences over relationships. So here's the question. Why do a lot of families put experiences over relationships. Here's a couple of reasons. One is some parents are reliving their own personal dreams through their children. And what I mean by that is, is that maybe you loved being in drama and theater when you were in high school. And now that your daughter or son is moving up into high school, you just keep saying, hey, why don't you try out for the school play or the opposite? You never were part of the school play, but you really wanted to be part of the school play. So now you're trying to, hey, why don't you try out for the school play? Because there's something inside of you that says, I just want to, and, and it's never conscious, by the way. It's almost never conscious. It's like an 
But there's something inside of you that's trying to push your children to have experiences that you had or didn't have because you just want to feel the same things that you felt when they were your age. The second reason why I think a lot of parents value experiences over a relationship is FOMO, fear of missing out. I mean, if your kid doesn't have an iPad in nursery school, they're never going to get into Harvard. You know what I'm saying? And so we just, we don't want our kids to miss out on anything because you're only young once, and so we pack their schedule. Here's the third one. A lot of parents are afraid of saying no to their children because they'd rather be liked than to say no. I do not know if either of our daughters remember this, but at some point in their childhood, I remember both of them at different times looking to Holly or me saying, I hate you. And my response is, I don't care. You'll go to therapy later, which I'll pay for. But at this moment, you're going to be doing this. I'm not saying you should say that. I'm just saying that was one of the mark moments that I probably regret. On the other hand, that's been turned into a lot of humor because today, whenever the kids do something, you know, in their own parenting skills, they'll always blame it back on me and say, well, you know, I'll just be going to therapy next week and you promised to pray for it, to pay for it. And I'm like, yeah, I did. Here's the, here's the last one. Um, you know why a lot of parents kind of do this? Way more experiences than relationship. Listen, because your kids are at the center of your home. And that's a mistake. God has placed within each of us a worship vacuum. And as our culture is becoming more secular, we're worshiping the God less. We're worshiping God less, but that doesn't mean we're not worshiping. We're now putting other things in front of God, and one of those is family and children. Do you know that your family can actually be in an idolatrous relationship with the Lord? Because the Lord has to come first. We always say, well, my family's first. That's a mistake. Because if you put your family first, even before the Lord, you'll go wonky. And if your kids know that they're at the center of your home rather than your marriage, they will control the home. And here's the crazy thing about kids. They will fight to control the home dynamic, and then when they have it, they won't know what to do with it because they're kids. One of the best things that you can do is to lovingly make sure that your marriage is at the center of your home. Christ, a marriage takes three. And that puts kids in an environment where they are more secure because they know that mom and dad are secure. So how is this played out, this idea of experiences and relationships? How is this played out? Well, Matthew chapter 3 is one of my favorite verses. It's... Um, it's a, what is it here? Matthew 3, 16, I believe, where Jesus, after his baptism, a voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. 
It's the voice of the Father speaking into the Son, saying issues of identity, affirmation, and affection. And here's how it works in the home life. When you put relationships, not this, you want your kids to have experiences, but when you have relationships over experiences, you want to be the one that shapes your child's identity, not this. You want to have the larger voice in their heart and in their head. And this is illustrated from Matthew 3.16 when God says, this is my son whom I loved, with him I am well pleased. Notice Jesus hadn't done anything. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't raised anybody from the dead. Hadn't cast out any demons. And he hadn't fed four or 5,000 people. Jesus just was. And the voice of the Father is, oh, by the way, before you ever do anything, I want you to know I love you. Which brings up something interesting, and that is, how can we express affirmation, identity, and affection to our children today? So let me just give it to you. I think there are five things, five phrases that every kid needs to hear from their parents. Here they are. I not only love you, I like you. I not only love you, I like you. I think children take it for granted that you have to love them. But if you can communicate, I don't just, I just, I don't just love you, I actually like you. I think you're sending a profound message. Second thing, you're mine. That may sound possessive. It is, it's meant to be, and it's okay. Every child needs to hear from their parents, you're mine, and you're never getting away from me. No matter what you do, you'll always be mine. Far from being possessive and overly controlling, in children's minds, they hear it as somebody's always going to be in my corner, and someone's always going to take care of me and love me. The third is, all I expect you to do is your best. That's it. All I expect you to do is your best. If your best is getting C's in school, that's all I expect from you. Fourth, you're good at. Every child needs to hear that they're good at something. You're good at tying your shoes, Susie. You're good at throwing the football. You're good at this, you're good at that. Every child needs to know that they're good at something. And this one is the most profound at all. Five phrases every kid needs to hear their parents say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I don't know why parents have such a hard time saying they're sorry. Either they oversorry or they never sorry. Try to find a balance. Your child knows that you are not perfect, why are you trying to act like you're perfect? So when both of our girls, and this was totally spont you know, spontaneous, it was not planned, when I was driving uh, our, our girls to college, or, well, I was driving one to college, I actually had appendicitis when the other daughter was going to college, so I was actually in the hospital. But um, at some point in their young adult 
Ness. And when I was alone with both of them, I've said, you know what? And this wasn't the first time, by the way, I said this. But I said, you know what? I know I've made mistakes. And I, I want you to know I'm sorry. And I listed some of the mistakes, some I just mentioned previously. I listed some of those mistakes. But I said, I want you to know, to the best of my ability, I did my best. But you can always come back and say to me, hey, remember when you said this? that really hurt my feelings. Or remember when you did that, that really hurt my feelings. I want to have an open posture with you and I just want you to know, I'm sorry, I was wrong and I give some specific areas. I think that has freed our girls up to come back later and say, yeah, that was hurtful. Number one. Number two, if you want thriving children Work on a healthy marriage. Mark 10, 6 through 9 says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they will no longer be two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, therefore, let no man separate. I realize that there are many single parents. So what I'm about to say, I'm going to say as gently and as kindly, and I hope you trust my heart in this. Kids thrive best in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. You might expect me to say that because I'm a pastor, but every single study secular study shows the same exact thing. There is no study that shows that kids thrive more outside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Now, if you are single and you have children, God has provided a husband for you or a wife for you. It's called the family of God. And the church has many men and women who will come alongside of you in relationship who will in some ways fill some parts that you can't always fill. I also want to say to you that you have an extraordinary responsibility and joy to be both a mom and a dad. And I can promise you by the grace of God, God will help you to do those roles to the best of your ability and your kids will know it and they will know that not only did you love them, but you did the best that you could with what you had and they'll give you all kinds of passes for what they didn't get. I promise you that. But let me also say another word. If you are living with someone and you're not married and you have children, you should either move out or get married immediately. Call me up this afternoon, I'll marry you by Friday. You think I'm kidding, I'm not. We can't get married, we're planning this celebration next year. Okay, plan the celebration next year, I'll do your wedding Friday but still plan the celebration. Here's why. It's a sin, and it's hurting your relationship with God. It is. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm telling you the truth. 
It's a sin. Number two, you're hurting your children. Because children do not do what you say, they do what you model. And you're sending them a profound message of compromise, which they will carry with them. Let's bring it back around. The best thing you can do to have a thriving marriage relationship is to have a healthy, uh, a thriving kids is to have a healthy marriage. So you need to work on your own marriage. So go back to message number one. Because your kids will learn how to love based on how you love. So Bethany and Emily learned how to love based on Holly and I. They learned what to value based on Holly and I. They learned how to fight based on Holly and I. That's frightening. All the good and all the bad, you're pouring into your children in your marriage relationship. Number three, the goal of correction is reconnection. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards there will be a, per a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11. A large part of training children is correction. You just can't get around it, right? I mean, kids don't do things perfectly. You don't do things perfectly. I don't do things perfectly. But a large part of raising children is correction. There is a how and a why to correction. The how is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So the how of correction is gently, not without shame, sarcasm, or anger. You're never at your best. I'm never at my best when I'm upset. I got to bring myself down and then correct. The why of correction is reconnection. Because most of the time, the correction that is needed has to do with a relationship that has been wounded. We had two rules in our home growing up. The first rule was never sash your mother or the wrath of God will come down on you. And the second was never lie. Because, I mean, trust is the basis of all relationships. So if, if, I, can't, if I can't trust, if Holly can't trust what you're saying is true, Look, it'll be better for you if you tell the truth, even if it puts you in a bad light, than if you lie. Because if you lie, I can't trust you. So usually the point of correction is reconnection. So I know this guy whose son was dishonoring his mother. And it was really bad. And the father was thinking, how can I correct my son in a way that reconnects him with his mom and gets a point, gets across the point, you can't sash your mom. So here's what he does. He goes to his son one evening, right before dinner, and says, son, here's the car keys. I need to discipline you for the way that you've been treating your mom. And the son's like, and he says, 
here's the visa card, take your mom out to dinner. And the son's like, what? That's your discipline. Take her out to dinner. Mom comes down the stairs, okay, let's go. And over the course of the dinner, the son's sitting there awkwardly, the mom's sitting there eating, and what do you think happens? They get to talking. And in the course of that talking, the son says, I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I've been treating you like this. And then they reconnect. Sometimes we're so frustrated as parents, we just want to correct, to discipline, to punish. We're never at our best when we're punishing our children because the point of correction is reconnection, not punishment. Number four, discover your children's interests and talents and lean into them. Train up a child in the bent, in the way that he or she should go. Every child has a bent. Some are bent toward sports. Some are bent toward academics. Some are bent toward music. Some are bent, you know, whatever the bend is, your job is to get a PhD in your children and figure out kind of like where their gifts and talents and abilities are. And then your job is not to relive your life through them, but to get on their team and go in the direction that they want to go. Now, I know this guy who um, his son graduates from high school, is on his way to college, but the son has no idea what he wants to do, which is typical, right? I mean, how many of you knew at 20 or 19 or 18 what you were going to do the rest of your life? Hardly anybody knows that. And so here's what the father did. The father said to his son this, son, I want you to know that I'm on your team. And I will fully support you in whatever direction in life you feel like you need to go. And when you discover that direction, I want you to know I will use all of my influence, I will use my resources to help you to get on the path that you believe that you're supposed to go in life. I'm on your team. And the son says, man, thanks a lot, Dad. I just really don't know the direction where I'm going right now. The father said, no problem. Will you trust me? Will you trust me to give you a direction until you find out your direction? And as soon as you find out your direction, all bets are off and you can go a different pathway. And the son said, that sounds reasonable to me. I don't know what I'm doing. So the father says this, listen, I've known you my whole life. I know your personality. I know you're bent. Here's what I think you ought to do. When you go to college this fall, would you consider majoring in business, getting a degree in business, and then going on to law school? And the son said, okay, I'll do that. Now, the father said, listen, if you, if you get to be a junior in college and you realize business and law isn't for you, switch. I will support you no matter what direction you go. Today, that man is a successful attorney in Atlanta. But he felt the freedom to be himself. And he trusted his dad until he got his own vision. And unbelievably, 
as he got through college and then went into law school, he was kind of blossomed and thought, you know what? Dad wasn't too far off. Your job is not to live your life through your children. Your job is to get on Team Billy or Team Susie and figure out their bent and then to tell them, I'll support you 100%. Lastly, trust the process. And when they're older, they will not leave it. If you are a Sixers basketball fan, you will know the phrase, trust the process. It was developed by the Sixers in a consecutive losing season, season after season after season, and the fans were getting all frustrated, and they came up with TTP, trust the process. The process is things are going bad right now, but we have a plan, relax. You know what God says to you about your kids? TTP, trust the process. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. God has placed within you, me, and your children an incredible bent to come back to later in life the values that were most meaningful. So here's how it works. You may have raised your kids in church and now you're all disillusioned because your kids are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s and they're not going to church anywhere and you're thinking, what's up with that? God promised me that when they were old, they will not depart from it. Hey, they're not dead yet. There is something inside of you that when you get to your 30s, 40s, 50s, you begin going, oh, I think I'm going to return. And you do it subconsciously most of the time. Trust the process. Some of you were not Christians when you raised your kids, and now you're like, oh, great, I was not anywhere close to the parent that I wanted to be. Hey, you're going to be a parent to your children as long as you still have breath. You can still go back to them. You can still say to them, look it, I wasn't this when, when you were younger, but God has changed my life through Jesus Christ, and now this is the new trajectory of my life, and I just want you to know to the best of my ability, I'm going to reparent you. I'm going to model, I'm going to mentor, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm on your team, Robert, though you're 59. I'm dedicating the rest of my life to team Robert. I don't know any adult that's heart wouldn't melt at that. Because every child, no matter at what age, needs to hear, I don't just love you, I like you. You're mine. You'll always be mine. To the day that I draw my last breath, you'll always be mine. The word of affirmation and identity and affection. Here's how we're going to close. If you have children and you are deeply concerned for them, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you're at. We're going to pray a prayer of blessing over them. If you have children that are just doing great, this is a Job moment for you. Do you know that the book of Job says that Job would regularly pray for his children who were already prospering, by the way. He would regularly pray for them that in their own life activities that they wouldn't do anything stupid and walk away from God. So if your kids are thriving today, I think you should just stand up and pray for your thriving children and say, oh God, keep them. Don't let them do anything stupid. If you have a child who's walked away from the Lord, and they're not thriving, I think you should just bring that child to the Lord. If you have a child that doesn't know Jesus, just bring that child to the Lord right now. So just stand up wherever you're at, and we'll just, I'm going to pray a blessing over your children, 
but you say their name. Lord Jesus, I pray a blessing over every child represented by these parents that are standing in this room and online. If you're, if you're part of the online campus and you're sitting in your living room or dining room, get up. If your kids are next to you, just look over at them and say, I'm praying for you. Because I love you and I like you. You're mine. Father, I want to pray for Bethany and Emily, for Steve and Trevor. God, continue to prosper them and draw them to your heart. May this be the prayer of every parent right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.